Thanks for listening to the Three Strands Church Sermon Podcast. You're about to hear a message from our series, AKA. Do you know who you are? Your name is important because it identifies who you are to the rest of the world. And only the one who made you has the right to name you. It's time to become who you really are by embracing the names and roles that God has given you in Christ. God has given you an identity. He's called you some things. They're yours for the taking. They're already yours. But they don't become your name. They they don't become your label. They don't get to be your identity until you embrace them. Does this make sense? This is the series we're in. What I'd like to do in this series is go through the Bible and pick out five things that God says you are. Five labels or identities that God puts on you and says, if you are in Christ, and we're going to come back to what that is, if you are in Christ, you are these five things already, but they don't become who you are just because God gives them to you. They only become who you are when you embrace them. The challenge in this series will be to first understand who God says you are, but then to second, embrace each of those things. Because if you embrace them, you will become them. You will become who you really are. You'll become also known as what God says you are. Man, there's so much joy in that life. And we're missing it because some people don't even know God's saying that stuff about them. Some people don't even know God's calling them these things. But other people know it and just haven't embraced it. Have just hung on to labels that somebody else gave them. Have hung on to labels they felt in here their whole life. Have hung on to identities that this world has called them for years. And so they've missed out on their God-given blessing. So to start this whole thing off, I need us to back up to the very beginning of the Bible. We're going to go Genesis to Revelation today, Kenny. Kenny only taught for 27 minutes last week, so he said that's the new bar. i got to like raise my bar less than 27 minutes. I told him three people texted me after church and asked for part of their offering back because it was so short. I'm just kidding. Sam. I'm just kidding. It's not a pay-for-play deal. All right, it's not. Okay. But anyway, I told my auntie I could pray in 27 minutes, so I don't know if we'll be able to do 27 minutes. But we're going to start way back at the beginning in Genesis chapter 5, when God created the first people. I believe that to be a true literal story, not a fictional uh, make-believe story written down for our entertainment, but what really happened in human history. And so God creates the first human beings, and I want to read it to you. It's in Genesis 5. I'm going to read verses 1 to 3. This is the description here. It says, This is the written account of the descendants of Adam when God created human beings. He made them to be unique, to be all different, to be just like the other animals. He made them to be like himself. Some translations say, in his own likeness. He created them male and female. He blessed them and called them human. He gave us a name. And when Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son who was unique, just like all the other animals. Got to pick his own name, decide his own identity. No, he 
he had a son who was just like him in his very image. And he named his son Seth. This passage is why we decide, if we're a follower of Christ, to give value to every human being on earth. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, if you're a man or a woman, if you're American or Russian. None of that matters. You have value placed on you because you have been created in the likeness of the God of the universe. Now, some people have rejected that. They have not embraced this identity, but we give them value. We are no better than them. We give them value because they have been made in the image of the God of the universe, and that image has been passed down to everybody's son and everybody's daughter throughout all of history, to where all of us have been made in the image, in the identity of the God of the universe. And I take you back to that because it's important for us to see we're not better than other people because we're sitting in this room, because we decided to come to church today, because we're white, or because we grew up in McCreary County or in this country. None of that matters. God didn't create McCreary Countyans. He created humans. So be very careful before you elevate yourself above other humans as if you're something better than them. Because God has given us all equal value. We get to the New Testament, and Paul talks about this identity that we get in Christ. I want to read you this one verse. It could be the verse we just zero in on this whole series. But in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, Paul speaks about this identity, and this is what he says. Anyone... Anyone, not just white people, not just men, not not just people who go to church, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, a new identity, a new name. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. This is the life that I want you guys to get in the next five weeks. I, I want you to have it to the fullest. Not part of it. Not not where you just come in and feel good for an hour on Sunday and then go about your... I want you to feel this new life every second of every day. Like George MacDonald said in the quote I gave you earlier, it's the greatest feeling in the world. That when you are in the worst possible pain or in the greatest possible joy, you cry out, Dear Father, and you hear him say back to you, My son, my daughter, I got this. Thanks for sharing it. I'm with you in it. I'm celebrating with you. I'm overcoming with you. I'm walking you through it. I'm here with you. It's the greatest thing in the world. And so Paul says we have this new identity in Christ. But it's dangerous to start living in this new identity but not believe or embrace that it's really who you are. It's like the the, the soldier I talked about earlier who doesn't embrace his identity so he never lives up to the standard he's been given. It's like the the wife who is 10 years into her marriage but still clinging on to her single life. It's not good. It's dangerous. It's like the dad who has never really wanted to be a father. 
has never really embraced that role. It's not good. And it leaves in its wake tragedy and chaos all throughout your life. This is the crisis of our world. People who have refused to embrace the identity God is giving them, and it's leaving a trail of disaster everywhere they walk. And so Paul says this identity, this new life is available to us in Christ, but it's only yours when you embrace it. And so the first piece of the puzzle, the first label I want to talk to you about today that God calls you is son and daughter. He says he's your father. It's all throughout the Bible. I could literally have gone to hundreds of passages to talk to you about this. This is what made it so challenging for today. It's everywhere in the Bible that God is your father, that God wants to call you his son, his daughter. He wants to give you everything that comes along with being part of his family. And so when you walked in today, hopefully somebody gave you an outline. If you're a note taker, you can take notes on it. If you're not a note taker, you don't have to. But I'm going to fill that in with you as we study through some of these passages to uncover our identity in Christ, that God is our Father. We're going to hit four more in the next four weeks, but today is probably the one that is of most vital importance and is the one that will trickle out throughout the other four weeks. Failing to see God as your Father and failing to embrace Him as such will keep you from ever experiencing all the other labels He gives you. And so I want to walk you through this. And so it leads us to this question that we're going to have to answer today. If I'm going to be God's son or God's daughter, if he's going to be my father, if he's going to father me, then that means first I've got to figure out how do I get into his family, right? So, so the first thing we've got to answer today, the question that's going to override all of this today is, how do I get into God's family, now, I've taught through stuff like this so many times, and I know there are people out there teaching all different kinds of things about this. I want to do as good a job as I can of just sticking to what God actually says. Let's, let's do that today, okay? Because I know some of you have heard all kinds of things about how you get into God's family, right? We, we've heard it all. You've got to change your ways, and then you'll get into God's family. Or, or you've got to pray this magic prayer and you get into God's family, or you got to get into church, and then you'll be in God's family. And I just want to stick to what the Bible says and not preach at you any of that garbage. <laughs> that's why I, I called all that garbage. So if you heard that before, it isn't meant to offend somebody that said that. It's just meant to offend that awful message, all right? Because God doesn't say that anywhere. The cleaning up your act doesn't get you into his family. Coming to church doesn't get you into his family. Praying some magic prayer doesn't get you into his family. Being born into a certain family of your own doesn't get you into God's family. Uh, being baptized as a baby doesn't get you into God's family. None of that stuff matters when you're trying to answer this question, how do I get into God's family? But there are two things that do matter. Now, the first one seems like it ought to be enough. And, and just bear with me for a second till we get to the second one, but because I think it'll blow your mind if you really like stop and think about it. Okay, so here's the first one. The first piece of the puzzle, how do you get into God's family? How do you become part of God's family? Well, first, you are spiritually born into God's family. Spiritually born into God's family. In John chapter 3, Jesus runs into this guy. His name is Nicodemus. He's a religious leader, 
and he's actually a pretty good man, okay? And he loves God, and he wants to do what's right, and he comes to Jesus, and he says to Jesus, hey, I know that you're a good teacher sent from God to teach us all things. I know that because I've seen all the amazing miracles you've done. I've seen all the good work you've been doing. I know nobody who wasn't from God could do all those things. So because you're doing all these amazing things, you must be a messenger sent from God to teach us all things. What do you want to teach me? That's a good attitude. That's a good attitude. In John chapter 3, starting in verse 3, Jesus answers him. This is what Jesus wants to teach him. You ready? He says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you guys ever heard that phrase before, born again? That's like classic Christianese, right? You got, you got to be born again, right? Okay, born again, that's code for spiritually born, all right? Or reborn, rebirth, all these things are kind of interchangeable. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Funny you should ask. It's the same thing Nicodemus asked. You ready? Here's what he says next. What do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? That doesn't make any sense, Jesus. Okay? Here's what Jesus says to him. I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, without being born of water. That's natural birth, right? Like when you go to the hospital, your mom's water breaks. You're born, natural birth, unless without being born of water and being born of the Spirit. This is what he just talked about. Reborn, born again, spiritual birth, spiritually born, right? Then he goes on to say, humans, here's his answer. What does this mean? Humans can reproduce only human life. You guys got that? That's code for you can't do this. You got that so far? Humans can't do it. Okay. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Okay. Throughout this whole process today, I want you to keep a list on the back of that outline where it says notes. You keep a list of all the things you've got to do to get into God's family. All the pieces of the puzzle you have to put into place all the effort you have to give it, all the decisions you have to make, all the actions you have to commit, all the things you've got to do. But in this verse, there aren't any. Okay? In this verse, it says, you can't do it. The Holy Spirit has to give it to you. You guys got that? So you've got to be spiritually born to be in God's family first. And you can't do that. It has to be something the Holy Spirit gives you. Okay? Sound a lot like an identity that somebody might give you. But if you remember from the beginning, it doesn't really become yours until you embrace it. Okay, stay with me for a second. Right? So this is the first piece of the puzzle, spiritually born into God's family. So when we're talking about spiritual birth, it's really a subject that deals with your position in Christ. In other words, Spiritual birth gives you some things in the Bible. Spiritual birth gives you some things that changes the way you stand in front of God. Changes the way you are positioned in front of God. Changes the way God looks at you. It doesn't necessarily change the way you are or change everything about you. 
Much like when the soldier joins the military and he goes to boot camp, he actually isn't a soldier yet. If you put him on the battlefield on day one, he would get killed. He, he wouldn't be able to shoot straight. He wouldn't know any tactics. He wouldn't know what to do. But yet on that day, he is declared to be a soldier. See how the identity is given to you. You embrace the identity even before you understand it all. <laughs> you got that? This flies completely in the face of thousands of churches, maybe millions of churches around the world trying to convince people in their chairs every Sunday, every Wednesday, every Saturday, trying to convince them, you clean up your act, get it all together, figure out how to live the way God wants you to live, and once you do that, you will be everything God wants you to be. And God is saying, no, I will declare you born again. Your job is to embrace it even before you understand everything it means. You with me so far? Okay, stay with me. So I want to give you the things in the Bible that you get when you are spiritually born again or spiritually reborn. Here's the first one. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. Ephesians 1.7 says, God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He let Jesus be executed. See, God had to treat Jesus as if he were David Decker so that he could treat David Decker as if he were Jesus. Does that make sense? I'm not as good as Jesus, but God looks at me as if I am. That's what it means to be forgiven. He looks at me as if I am. Why? Because the blood of his son has bought my freedom and what? And forgave my sins. Every sin. The Bible doesn't say that God takes my sins and removes them as far as the north is from the south. It says that God takes my sins and removes them as far as the east is from the west. You know why that is? Because if you start walking north, eventually you'll be walking south. But east and west never run into each other. If you start walking east, you'll always be walking east. And God says, that's how far I've removed your sins from you. As far as the east is from the west. That's how God, that's how God forgives us. Every sin, past, present, and future. You think God is so impotent, so stupid, that he doesn't know what I'm going to do tomorrow? That he didn't know what mistakes I would make 10 years from now? No, he died for me even while I was a dirty, rotten sinner. That's his forgiveness. You get that when the Spirit gives you spiritual life. You get that when the Spirit re gives rebirth to you. When the Holy Spirit gives you this new life that Paul wrote about. Here's the second thing you get. You're accepted. Accepted. Romans 8.1. Romans 8.1 says, There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because you're totally forgiven, you're accepted fully as is, no warranties necessary, no guarantees needed. You don't have to promise God you'll be perfect the rest of your life. He just accepts you as dirty as you are, as imperfect as you are, as unfinished as you are. He looks at me and he says to you, I will always love you this much forever. I will never take that love from you. Here's the third thing you get. 
you're complete. When you're spiritually born, you're forgiven, you're accepted, and you're complete. I love this. Look at Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10. For in Christ, all the fullness of God, in Christ lives all the fullness of God in, human, in a human body. So you also are complete with your union, in your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. In other words, everything that God has given to Jesus, you get if you are in him. Everything. Complete. You know, you look at these three things. It's what the world is spinning their wheels looking for. I just want to be accepted. I just want to be forgiven even though I'm not perfect. I just want to be made complete. And God is saying, I'm giving that to you. I'm identifying you as that. If you will just embrace it, I'm giving it to you. New life. Now here's the second thing. This is the one that didn't make sense to me when I first started looking at it this week. So if you want to be part of God's family, this is how you do it. You're spiritually born into God's family by the Holy Spirit. But then here's the second thing. He says you are legally adopted into God's family. Now I looked at that one and I thought, that doesn't make sense. I mean, if I was born into this family, then why do I got to be adopted? Right? That doesn't make sense. Let me read you this passage first, and and then we'll answer that question, right? Galatians chapter 4 Verses 4 through 7 says this. But when the, time, when the right time came, the best translation I can give you for that phrase right there is this. What he's really saying is that just when the time was right, right? But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could do what? adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. It just means dear father. Dear father. And now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. I don't know. What, what was in that verse that you got to do? I must have missed it. Because I'm looking at it, it's like, okay, God sent his son. He bought my freedom. He sent his spirit to live in my heart. The spirit prompts me to cry out, dear father. And I'm not a slave anymore, I'm a child and an heir. There should be nothing on the back of your page yet still, I'm just saying. There's no, there's no effort on our part yet at this point in the story, okay? So you're legally adopted. Why? This is what I came up with. You ready? It's almost like they overlap, right? Like if I'm born into this family, why do I got to be adopted? But I think what God was trying to say is this. And this, this phrasing is all throughout the Bible. Born into the family of God, adopted into the family of God. They seem to overlap. But I think what God is saying is this. You know, sometimes you think you get stuck with what, you're, like, what gets born to you. You know what I mean? Like, like, I can't give my kids back. Does that make sense? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like when you guys get to the hospital and the new daughter's here, you're not going to be able to, like, eh, take that one back. Like, you get stuck with what you give birth to. Does that make sense? And, and it's almost like God is saying, hey, I'm giving spiritual birth to you. But I don't want you to think I'm just getting stuck with you. Like, like, even if I didn't give you this birth, and I just found you out there somewhere wandering around, I want you to know that I would have picked you too. 
I would have looked over everyone and picked you out as special. I don't want there to be any confusion. In some ways, adoption is even a better picture of God's love than childbirth. But both of them are true. You you can't even explain the love you feel holding that baby the first time. But you can't even explain the feeling a nine-year-old has when somebody picks them out of the orphanage and says, I'll take you home with me. Like the view of God's love is amazing on both sides. of that. It's like he's saying, I want there to be no doubt that I am doing all the work to give birth to you spiritually, but even if I didn't, I would have picked you to be in my family, to adopt you. See, spiritual birth deals, deals with your position in Christ, but adoption deals with your privilege in Christ. And it carries with it a bunch of privileges. Let me read you another passage that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, talking about adoption to God. And he says in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call out, there's that phrase again, Dear Father, for His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm, to confirm, to assure that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. You get some things with adoption too. Can I give them to you real quickly? Here's the first thing you get. You get guaranteed assurance. I just read you that in the Romans passage. I'm going to skip over that because I just read it. But you get guaranteed insurance. But look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is what we are. There is no doubt. I mean, you can call me whatever you want, but I know who I am because I've embraced it. I'm God's kid. You get assurance. You also get freedom. You also get freedom. Look back at Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. It says, God sent Jesus to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And look at Ephesians 1. I love this passage. This is the kind of passage in the Bible that almost makes me cry just reading through it. Can I read it for you? Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 to 7. Stay with me on this topic of adoption, okay? God wants you to hear something about his love for you. You ready? Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 4. Even before the world began. You mean it was before I was good? Before I went to church the first time? But before I did the best possible things I could do to get right with God? Before I even thought about God? Yeah, before the world even began. Before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and faultless in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for his glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son, and forgave our sins. Freedom. There's no limitation on what your life can be now. 
You can do anything in Christ. You have the freedom to choose good over evil now. You have the freedom to know your father. You know how many people out there don't know their dad, wish they knew who he was? You get that freedom in Christ. It's a guaranteed presence of God. Here's the next thing you get. You get, God, you get confidence. Confidence. I met a lot of people in our area. They got no confidence. No confidence in God. They think God's going to bail on them. They think God's going to throw them to the curb the first thing they mess up. They got no confidence. And maybe they had a, a dad on earth like that. Maybe their dad growing up was like that, but that's how they view God. Look back at Romans chapter 8, verse 15. It says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you a fearful slave. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him dear father. And look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. The opposite of this confidence is fear. And I've met so many people who are terrified. Terrified they're going to hell. Terrified this is the best life we'll ever get. Terrified that God's not on their side. And what you get when God adopts you is confidence that he's got your back and that he's never going to leave you. Here's what else you get. You get an inheritance. You get an inheritance. Look back at Romans 8, verse 17. Since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. And look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. The same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. You get an inheritance. Everything you need because you're an heir to everything Christ has been given. I don't have all these on the board, these two lists that you get from being spiritually born and from being legally adopted by God. But, But you should have them on the list in front of you if you're taking notes, I guess, right? But let me just give them to you real quick again. You're forgiven, you're accepted, you're complete, you're sure, you're free, you're confident, and you have an inheritance. Everybody in the whole world is looking for that stuff. Those last four I gave, you know what the opposite of those are? The opposite of assurance is doubt. The opposite of freedom is slavery. The opposite of confidence is fear. And the opposite of inheritance is incomplete. Forgiven, accepted, complete. You know how many people out there are doubting their life, afraid of things in their life, feeling incomplete, feeling like they're a slave? to some habit or situation. It's everywhere. So the question today is this. The question today is this. Who are you? Who are you? It, it's, it's a question that whether you know it or not, you've been asking yourself your whole life. Who are you? But the problem is that's the wrong question. As long as you keep asking that question, you're going to keep falling short. The real question you should be asking is whose are you? Because when you're God's, you get all that stuff you've been looking for. You say, how do I know if he picked me? How do I know if the Spirit is going to give birth to me? How do I know that sitting in this crowd, if God were here, that he would pick me out to adopt me? How do I know 
This is how you know. You ready? He already labeled you that. The only thing you have to do to know if you're adopted, if you're spiritually born, the only thing you have to do, the only thing that goes on the back of the outline is embrace it. How can that be? How can it be that easy? Because I've said it so many times in our church, Christianity is like a Rubik's Cube. I can tell you all about it in 10 seconds. But for a lot of people, it feels like a puzzle they can't ever put together. you got to stop asking who you are and start asking whose you are. God has already labeled you as his son, as his daughter. The label's already on your chest. The question is not, what do you have to do? The question is, will you embrace it? In the moment you embrace it, whether you sign a card or walk down an aisle or cry your eyes out, whether you change all your behavior or understand everything it means is irrelevant. All that matters is will you embrace the identity he's given you. And if you embrace it, then you get all that stuff he said comes with it. I can't even tell you what it's like. You just have to try it and see. It's kind of one of those things. You'll never understand what it's like until you're on the other side of it. And my question for you today is, should there be a different name written on your name tag? I get it, Chase. You know, these are dumb. You know, they're stupid, Chase says. Right? Man, we've been walking around with a name somebody else gave us our whole life anyhow. What if we started walking around with the name that the God of the universe gave us? His child. I don't want to be known as a soldier. I don't want to be known as a good athlete. I don't want to be known as a great dad. I want to be known as a child of God above all else. Because when I'm known as that, (laughs) I get forgiveness. I get accepted as is. I get completeness, wholeness in my heart. I get assurance that I got a great future. I get freedom from all the stuff weighing me down. I got confidence that my dad's always got my back. And I get a big time inheritance. What else could I need? Isn't it time you stopped listening to all the lies that have been spoken over your life for years that you're a loser? That you're insignificant? That you're a failure? That you're a pervert? That you're a whore? That you're a piece of dirt? That you're not very worthy of anything? That you'll never be as good as your parents were? Isn't it time that you just took those labels off and stopped embracing them? And instead embrace what God says you are, His kid. His kid. That's salvation. That's how you get into God's family. I've said this at our church many times before. But only the one who made you has the right to name you. You've been given the right to all kinds of other people to name you. You're letting people name you girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife, dad, soldier, employee, slave, (laughs) loser, inadequate, incomplete, You've been letting all kinds of other people name you and they don't even have the right to do it. Only the person who made you. Imagine some stranger coming into my house 
trying to rename my kids. I would kick his butt, man. I'd die trying. Those are my kids. God has named you his kid. When you leave on the back table today, there's a bunch of stickers. And on them, they just say, child of God. And I just want to encourage you, if today you're sure that God's your, your dad, if today you could say, I've embraced what God has identified me as, would you just grab one of those on your way out? You don't have to stick it on your chest. I know it's kind of like juvenile. I get it. Would you grab one of those on the way out? Just stick it somewhere at your house. Stick it inside your Bible cover. Stick it on your mirror. When you wake up tomorrow morning, look at it and just remind yourself, man, I don't care what everybody else says about me. I don't care what I hear coming out of here. I know I'm God's kid. And he comes with a lot of great stuff. Man, will you just join me in the family? Join me on that side of the family, man. We want you. God wants you. If nobody else loved you, if your dad treated you like garbage, if your lies keep pounding over your ears day after day saying, you're a nobody, you're a loser. Man, hear the voice of the Lord today saying, no man, you are my kid. I've given you life and even if I didn't, I would have picked you out and adopted you. If you will embrace that, you will be saved. You will be spiritually born again. You will be adopted into God's family. But because you did something, no, God did all of it. You just have to embrace it. Will you embrace it as we end today and just consider how great and how good God is to us?